Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, number five in the world for communication podcasts. What is this about? The Speak Up podcast is really, it's like a private executive coaching session for you to build your brand, to communicate more effectively, to be a more sought after visible leader in your company, whether you work for a, a humongous company like Google or you're your own boss and everything in between, whether you're a software engineer, a technical person, a finance person, a marketing person, this is for you to communicate better with your boss, with your peers, with the people who work for you, to help you build the culture and build your career, build your visibility. And today is a a magnificent episode number 158. We're interviewing Nick Gray. Nick is a very cool person from the very cool city of Austin, Texas. So I feel like uh, Laura Camacho has uh, increased her coolness factor today. But before I get into Nick, I want to bring you a word from our sponsor, which is the book called The Practical Guide to Effective Communication. You need to get this book. You need to have it on your desk as a tool for when you have that special presentation, that scary presentation to the board, or you need to really win over a a group of potential clients, or you need to give some uncomfortable feedback, or you need to ask for something, or you want to build better personal relationships, or you want to know how to have a better conversation. All of those things are available to you in the Practical Guide to Effective Communication. It's even got illustrations, it's got exercises, it's got a communication style assessment, it's got conversation starters. So get the book, The Practical Guide to Effective Communication, find a chapter that speaks to you, read it, act upon it, put it down and wait a week or so and read another chapter. And I promise you, you will come out as a much more effective communicator. So that is our sponsor for today's episode which is about a new form of networking. Yes. And I know a lot of you hate networking and I am, I won't say that I hate it. It's not my favorite activity, but the way our guest is going to teach us about networking, which is through hosting. Yes. Inviting people to your home. I know that sounds super scary, but he's got this easy peasy uh, two hour cocktail party uh, that he's going to tell us exactly you know, who to invite, what to serve, how to organize it. So it's a maximum return on your investment. And I'm going to just tell you a little bit about Nick before we welcome him. Uh, Nick Gray was in New York City for a long time. And he started a a company where he gave these uh, non-traditional tours of museums. So I'm going to ask him about that. I think that sounds interesting to begin with. And how did he, he built his own company, you know, just like I did. Some of you have done, you know, having no idea what we were doing, but he started networking by hosting his non-traditional cocktail parties. So his cocktail parties have been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. He has been called a host of culturally significant parties by New York Magazine. So that's pretty impressive. So he's going to tell us, how to build your network of uh, artists, business owners, inspiring teachers, new friends, 
by having a small group of people in your home. So I always say that the Speak Up podcast is going to bring you things you haven't heard before. And today I am super duper over delivering on that promise. All right, Nick, welcome to the Speak Up podcast. I am super happy to have somebody as cool as you from Austin, Texas on the show. And I want, before we talk about networking and the two-hour cocktail party, I know that the people listening to this conversation, they're very smart cookies and they go to museums a lot. So I want to know, how did you start a business about museum tours? Like, what was that all about? And just tell us that a little bit about that story, and then we'll transition to the new way to network in 2022. You know what it was? Is a woman took me to the Metropolitan Museum of Art on a romantic date. Mm-hmm. And it was our third date, and she took me to the Met. I lived in New York for 13 mm-hmm. years before I moved here. And I felt that I never grew up going to museums. I just didn't. I grew up middle class in the South. I lived in the suburbs. We just didn't go to museums. And I went to this Met Museum and I was a little intimidated. It's big. Have you been to the Met? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I bet a lot of your visitors have. It's or a lot of your listeners. It's the most popular museum in all of America. And it's enormous. 2.3 million square feet takes up like 11 or 12 acres of Central Park. It's huge. But I would go there and I feel like for New Yorkers, the Met was just like a tourist attraction, like Times Square. You don't really go there. But then this woman, she was planning our date and she took me to the Met and she started to talk to me at my level, which is basically like a third grade education level. (laughs) And I'm serious. I've never taken an art history class, but I just saw these things and realized that I think I moved to New York to go to magical places like this. And I became obsessed. I started to do research about the pieces on Wikipedia. I'd watch YouTube videos. And I started to go back every weekend because it for me, it was a little escape. Mm-hmm. And I started to give tours to my friends after going there, learning the place like the back of my hand. I've been there probably over a thousand times now. So I know it very well. And I just show my friends the cool things I found. And it wasn't a very fancy tour. It was basically three cool things I found and five things I want to steal. And <laughs> that was my museum tour. It wasn't a narrative arc about mm-hmm. Renaissance and Baroque and, and all these painters and how the, no, it was just cool stuff at this place. Anyhow, I hope I'm not speaking too long, but it got yeah. written up in a blog and they said it was the best thing to do in New York City. And overnight, literally 1,300 people sent me an email wanting to join on one of these tours. Crazy. Oh my gosh, that's wild. And so I kind of built a business from that. And we started to work with the Met and other major museums like the Getty in Los Angeles. We work with the National Gallery in D.C. And we built it up to over 60 employees doing hundreds of tours every month. And then we would sell those tours to big businesses like uh, I'm not sure I can say who, but to really large businesses that would come to do like a team building experience Mm -hmm, for all their mm -hmm. employees. And so that was my journey of doing museum tours and in the museum world. That's very cool because I have this hypothesis that every person has kind of a life theme and that it just plays out in different ways. And it seems to me like your theme is taking 
an ordinary experience and making it extraordinary, making it more approachable, interesting, or different? What would you say? I love that idea. I like that idea. I think things like museums, frankly, I think most museums are boring. And I wanted to make them really fun and exciting. And the idea was to attract a new audience. Right. That's awesome. So you got younger people, different people. Like, who did you get? It was at first it was millennials Mm -hmm. and then it was millennial minded people. (laughs) And now now it's just anybody who wants who maybe doesn't go to a museum already. So like you said, you go to a lot of museums. Your listeners go to a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, the important thing is museums are struggling for revenue and members and things like that. And so my whole goal was like, let's get a new audience to really see and become impressed and excited about the majesty of these amazing cultural institutions. And to do that, we had to talk to them in a different way. And what that meant at the Met was maybe we would start the tour by going to the most expensive painting in the whole museum. Mm -hmm. Love it. Which you would never hear on an official tour. It's totally taboo to talk about the price of the works of art, but sometimes that was the accessibility we needed to get somebody interested. Ah, that is so good. So my friends who are listening to or eavesdropping on my conversation with Nick, let me just mention something that he is just taking something that's an ordinary thing, go to the museum to see Picasso or Van Gogh or whatever. And he's just giving you this twist on that experience And he's doing the same thing with networking. And you are getting to hear early on what Nick Gray, who, by the way, your parents picked out an awesome marketing name for you. Nobody has to say, how do you spell Nick Gray? So kudos to your parents for that. But Nick's going to give us some tips on networking in a totally different way and how we can take what it that skill set that you build from doing this different kind of networking that does not involve going to Manga's conferences and talking. I remember my first networking event was in downtown Charleston. I mean, I didn't even know that networking was a thing for a long time because I went from academia to starting my own business and how hard could that be, right? Right. And <laughs> so I'm told, oh, we need, I'm like, oh, well, how do I get clients? And people would say networking. So I went to a networking event. It was some fancy or popular bar downtown. And I walk in and the place is just like full of people that are having the time of their lives. And I didn't know any of them. So I just went home. Now, I'm sure Nick Gray would not do that because he appears to be a flaming extrovert. And I know most of you listening are not. So we're going to learn, though, from him how to network in a different way. That's more effective, gives you more ROI, return on your investment. So why should we network, Nick, if we don't have a business? Tell me. Well, first, I want to say I've done that too. I've walked into the networking event. I've been so intimidated by how many people are there and how all the conversations and then I've left and I leave about I used to leave about 20 minutes afterwards. And the worst part was I would go home and feel like it was my fault. Like I wasn't good enough or like I wasn't social enough and I just feel down and sad and, and sort of beat up about it. And so that's why I created this new formula, which was to say, Hey, instead of going to bad networking events, what if I start to bring the party to me? What if I start to host my own events that are smaller, that are better 
and that I could put myself in a leadership position and add value to these people. So I can talk to you about that and how I came up with it and how I've trained almost 100 people now to do the same thing, even shy introverts on how this can work for them. But why? Why should we network? Because if you have a business, if you're starting a business, if you have a career, if you're new to town, or maybe you're just an adult who wants more friends. Nobody teaches us how to make new friends when we become an adult. And it becomes friendship kind of becomes a game of attrition as we get older. We have the same friends and they drop off because they move or stuff happens, but we don't make a lot of new friends. And so even if you think, oh, I don't like networking, right? Because networking kind of has a a bad name. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't think that, let me just encourage you to have an open mind and think about this as a way to make some new friends. All those things. Yeah. Making friends as an adult, I think is super hard. Once you get out of college and then when you have children in kindergarten or preschool, you know, you can meet some of the parents, but it's a very limited population. So I think we all need help making friends. And and I'll share with you all that a year ago, I think it was, yeah, I think it was exactly a year ago. I was coaching some very young, super smart tech professionals. This young woman was about to turn, I don't know, 23, 24. And she had just come out of a year and a half of lockdown. Her birthday was, I think, in August. And she wanted to have a few friends over to her. It wasn't in her home for a birthday. And we had to map out minute by minute how it would go. It's a pity your book wasn't available then because then that would have made my life so much easier. I would have just said, follow Nick's recipe. Yes, (laughs) yes, it's perfect for that. But yeah, how did you help her? What type of stuff? Because I bet you gave her some great advice and I bet for her, you know, a lot of us have forgotten how to gather and yeah. how to get together after COVID. I think my book is a really good way to help people dust off the COVID cobwebs and adding that structure, doing icebreakers, giving people a little agenda, telling them that there will be name tags. Those type of things help people to be a little less awkward. Exactly. And then all everybody listening here has felt awkward at one point or another. Maybe they don't now. And yes, what, well, one of the things I did tell her to do that she did was they weren't icebreaker questions the way you present them. What I have, I have this list of 55 conversation starters. So I had her pick out, I don't know, 10 or 15 that she liked, print them, cut them out, fold them up into little pieces and put them in a bowl and everybody would draw I like one that. question to kick things off. So it could be like, if you could change your name, what would you like to be named? Where would you like to go on vacation? What's your favorite food? Just so that was my version of the icebreakers, but you have a different take where everybody gets the same question. So tell me, how did you come up with that idea? I think it's brilliant by the way, because it does take away the awkwardness and guys, everybody listening, listen to this. Nick's going to explain about his icebreakers, which are not, they're not hard, but they have two key benefits and that it starts a conversation. It helps people get to know each other. And then at a party, if, if you're bored talking to somebody, it can help you not have to continue that conversation. So 
I'll pass it to you, Nick. Tell us about your icebreakers. What makes a good icebreaker? Why are they so helpful? Yeah, you nailed it. These icebreakers at a party help start new conversations. And when you use them at your party, they also help you to end the conversations. How many times have you been at a party or an event, a social situation, and you've talked to somebody for three minutes, maybe, and you're like, oh man, I am done yeah. here. Yeah. And there's no easy way without being rude to say, oh, I'm going to go refill my drink or something. <laughs> there's no easy way to end the conversation. And so when you use these at your party, but let's talk about what are these icebreakers? What's an icebreaker? It's just a way to get a, a survey of who's in the room, a quick survey, a brief way to circle everybody up and give them all a chance to say their name, what they do for work, or if they don't want to talk about work, something that they're excited about. And then one question, the icebreaker question. And the icebreaker question can be just like what you said, what's a vacation spot that you want to go to or something like that. Now I have specific ones and I'll tell you which ones I like to use that work hundred percent of the time. But I think about icebreakers structurally like scaffolding. I think about them as green, yellow, and red icebreakers. A green icebreaker is a great one to use at the start of your event when everybody maybe hasn't built up rapport and they're new and the room is a little cold because everybody's in that, what I call the awkward zone. When you first arrive to an event, has this ever happened to you? You host an event and only four or five people are there and there's not enough conversational momentum. And so that's what I call the awkward zone. And it happens to every single host. It even happens to me. I've hosted hundreds and hundreds of cocktail parties. Even the awkward zone still happens for me. So a green level icebreaker that I would use in a situation like that would be, what is one of your favorite things to eat for breakfast? And I know that might sound childish or silly, mm -hmm. but at the beginning of an event, you're looking for an icebreaker that's easy, as easy as possible, that everybody can answer quickly mm -hmm. and that okay. can show a little bit of their personality. Okay. So my answer for that is one of my favorite things to eat for breakfast is scrambled eggs with spinach, but I have a secret ingredient. I use coconut oil in my eggs and it makes them a lot sweeter. And that's my favorite thing. That's a fast icebreaker and it shows a little bit about me, right? Somebody mm -hmm. else may say they love pancakes or waffles or someone says, I skip breakfast. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. I do intermittent fasting. Someone else may say a real healthy breakfast. So we don't use, I don't suppose that you're going to go around and talk to everybody about their breakfast recipe, <laughs> right? But you could. <laughs> but you could, but it gives you a conversational crutch. It gives you an idea. It lets everybody talk. And when I built Museum Hack, I had to use these easy icebreakers just to get people comfortable talking in the very intimidating space of the museum. And so we do that same thing at the beginning of a party just to give some conversational momentum to get people comfortable speaking. So that's a green level icebreaker. What you should not do is a red level icebreaker. A red level icebreaker could be something like, what's the worst first date that you ever went on? <laughs> Or what's your biggest fear? Oh my gosh, I hate that icebreaker. It's so intimidating. Why would you want to talk about it? Why would you want everybody to share their biggest fear, their worst first date? It can work when you've built up the rapport, but that's yeah. my, th I mean, I'll talk about these for, what do you think? How does that vibe? Yeah, well, I mean, you? to me, you don't want to go negative about anything because at the party, I mean, you're not, unless you're a, maybe if you're a psychiatrist trying to build your practice, you might talk about fears. But other than that, like, 
let's save that for another day. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about positive things and, and interesting things. I think with uh, icebreakers on during COVID on the Zoom meetings, yes. short is good. I yes. like the short answer. Nothing that you have to think about. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Can I give you a tip for your listeners? Yes. A yes. ultimate pro tip when you're going to lead a round of icebreakers. If you're listening to this podcast, you say, I love this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to a meeting today. You need to do them standing up. Sitting oh, down yes. is the kryptonite to a successful icebreaker. And if you're thinking, oh, let's all sit down and do an icebreaker. What will happen is your guests will go on and on and it doesn't add that energy and that excitement. And so when you stand up, it helps to move the icebreakers fast. I love that. And it keeps things going because the people yes. that are listening to us are all very high IQ and they're very curious people. So don't let people sit cross-legged on the floor. This is not a yoga session. This is either networking, whether it's using the icebreakers in a virtual meeting, you would, I mean, I see you're standing up right now. And that's what I advise people when they're giving a group presentation. But now yeah. I'm thinking maybe I should just stand up all the time, right? The energy is higher. It's way higher when you stand up. And so when you host an icebreaker, when you use my formula from my book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, you will use three rounds of icebreakers during your two-hour party. The first one you'll do five or 10 minutes after the party starts. When there's just a couple people there, it's a very quick icebreaker to help you get out of the awkward zone. The second icebreaker you'll do about 30 to 40 minutes after the party starts. So if you have a party that starts at 7 p.m., you'll do your second icebreaker at about 7.35 when probably everybody has shown up. And I actually do the same icebreaker at that time. I do the same one name, what you do for work, and what's one of your favorite things to eat for breakfast. And you're going to do that one fast just to signal everybody in the room, because here's why we do the icebreakers. It's so you and your guests can get an idea of who you want to go up and speak to. Right. Love and it. so it's important that you say your name and what you do for work. And mm -hmm. then what's your favorite thing? What's one of your favorite things that you like to eat for breakfast? And you'll do that and you'll run it very quickly for everybody there. So everybody gets an idea of who's at the party, because mm -hmm. if you've ever been to a party and you're like, I wish I knew who was here because then maybe I could know who I would like to meet either to make a new friend or for professional, but you never, it's just left up to chance and who you happen to bump into. And if the host is making introductions. And so when you do icebreakers, it solves that sort of, right. It's a little sound off of everybody in the yes. room, a visual survey. I love that. So, I mean, Nick is already telling you his book is called the two-hour cocktail party, how to build big relationships with small gatherings. So the skinny on this is that to avoid these generic, big networking events that is, they're very loud and can be super duper awkward, you're going to invite people into your home. And it doesn't yes. matter if you live in a matchbox that is a little bit disorganized. It does not matter. I actually right. do live in a matchbox. I live yes. in a very pricey neighborhood and I have a teeny tiny microscopic house and I have yes. had people over. And it does work. People do not, they literally do not care that you do not have a full-time maid. That is really not an issue. And Nick, he lays out in this book, everybody, like exactly what to do. He even has like minute one, 
Well, he doesn't do it minute by minute, but he does break it down into sections. But these were the things that I took away because I have been giving parties myself for a long time, but I am super pumped to do it Nick's way. So he advocates for name tags, which at first I was a little skeptical. Oh, tell me, tell me. Tags, but now, in fact, he recommends a certain brands of name tags and I'm going to order them today. He recommends the icebreakers at key moments and he recommends that you keep it like less than 20 people, like 15 people. I think 15 to 20 people. Yeah. Right. Two hours on a weekday guys on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. So those were things that blew me away, but it does make it less intimidating. Like if it's a Tuesday night thing, And you recommend, you think seven to nine is better than six to eight? You know what? It really depends on you and your community. When I was in New York City, people work later and they, and and they're out later. And so Mm -hmm. there, yeah, I would do seven to nine, sometimes even eight to 10. Here in Austin, Texas, people host happy hours from five to seven or Mm -hmm. from six to eight. It's way earlier. And Mm -hmm. so you can use your own judgment, what would work well for your group. Mm -hmm. But in general, and maybe you remember this, you need to do it at a time that will leave them space to eat dinner, either right. before or afterwards, because you are not doing dinner. Do not exactly. make this a dinner party. Exactly. That is that's a great point. You're not doing dinner. It's too, and he won't let you like you are not allowed, even if it's going great, which it probably will. And people want to stay. You literally kick them out of your house after the two hours. And I know all of you introverts are going to be like, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> we've all been at the, the party, and it, that's a problem if it's in your own house. Like, guest XYZ is just droning on, and you're just about to fall asleep, and you, it's hard to end things. So, this is an in and out. It's two hours. It's on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. It's hosted you, at your home. There's name tags. There's name You tags. can think about it like the Nick Party Formula N I C K, like gosh. my name. N stands for name tags. I stands for icebreakers. C stands for cocktails only, not a dinner party. And then the K, like you said, stands for kick them out at the end. (laughs) Good. All right. But there's something else about that you do that's really like the piece de resistance. It's the, the thing that creates excitement about coming to your party. Yes. And those are the little introductions, the virtual introductions. But before we get into this- That's my secret weapon. Yes, let's tell about that later. Yes. Okay. I'm thinking, who do I invite to this thing? Yes. Like literally, who do I invite? So tell me, who am I going to invite to my two-hour Nick party? So I will tell you exactly who to invite. But first, I want to say for your listeners, I wrote this book for someone who doesn't even think that they need this book, for someone who thinks I'm not a host, this book is not for me. I wrote it for people that rarely host and that have been maybe looking for an excuse to host or saying that they would host, or maybe they only host on their birthday or something like that. I'm hoping to encourage a whole new group of hosts with this book. Yes. And invite me, guys. Yes. Yes. I know you're not having parties because you never invite me. Exactly. I'm going to know if you were applying what Nick is so graciously sharing with us because you're going to invite me. I'm going to be the number one person you invite. So here's the secret. Everybody wants to know someone who brings people together. Everyone wants to know someone. And the secret is 
anyone can do it. It's not rocket science to host a cocktail party. And that's why I suggest cocktail parties because they're so easy and they can be successful for you. And I'll teach you exactly how. And I literally do go through almost nearly with a minute by minute breakdown Mm -hmm. with a planning process and everything. So should I talk about those guest bios that I talk about yeah, as part talk of the about reminder the, the message. Guest bios. And then we also have to talk about what intimidate another intimidating factor. Oh yes. Who to invite? Who to invite and the bar. Like, do I have to like yes, spend yes. $5,000 on alcohol? Yeah. So, so okay. So on, let me start with who to us. invite. So I'll start with who to invite. Okay. Because a lot of people who might possibly going to invite, well, you're going to start with finding five friends that will say yes to the invitation. I call that your core group of friends. These can be your neighbors, your friends from college, your colleagues. They're people that you feel safe around, that will laugh at your jokes, that if you have to change the date because they all can't say yes, then you're not going to feel bad or embarrassed. Mm -hmm. So you're going to start by inviting those five people, your core group, and you're going to send them a text message or send them an email or call them on the phone and say, hey, I'm thinking of hosting a cocktail party on Tuesday night in three weeks. If I do it on this day at this time, would you come? And you're going to look to get five yeses from five people, minimum five people. And when you get those five yeses, now your core group is locked in, you're confirmed, and your party is happening. It's not happening until you get those five yeses. And many people make this mistake. They choose the date in their head. And then they send out all these invites and then nobody's available. Oh, so true. It's so right? true. Yes. And now true. they're scrambling. They have egg on their face. People won't show up, et cetera. So your party's not happening until you get those five yeses. Once you get those five yeses, now you create the page to collect RSVPs. Mm-hmm. A simple page, right? You just use a free online platform. What have you used? Have you used some services before? I use Oh, dad gummit. It's not evite. It's a Event, paperless, right. paper, paperless, paperless post. post. Yeah, paperless I like post it. is very nice. It's very easy. It works great on mobile. I use this service that I like and recommend. It's called Mixily, M-I-X-I-L-Y, and it's free and it's easy to use. When you go to their homepage now, it's all about virtual, but no, they allow you to create these RSVPs and I like it better than Evite because just like the one you recommended, there's not a lot of ads. It's not spamming right. people with all right. this stuff. Now, why do we collect these RSVPs? We're not selling anything. We collect the RSVPs for two reasons. Number one, because it makes a social contractor commitment for your friends to show up to your event. And so much of the work that I do helps give people the confidence that over 90% of everybody who says they're going to come will actually show up. Right. And one of the ways that we do that to have those very high attendance ratings is by getting them to sign up and to RSVP. So they tell you, yes, they'll come. You say, perfect. Please RSVP here. It helps me to have a head count. So you're Mm going to be really aggressive in getting your friends to say yes and create that social contract. And the second reason that we collect those RSVPs is to make social proof, to create social proof. So when you reach out to those other people after the first five, they see that there's already six people attending you and your five yeses from your core group. And now it looks like a party because if you ever gotten a party invite that they've obviously spammed and it's like two people say yes, 
three yeah. people say maybe, and 97 people have been invited. <laughs> yes, very That's awkward. The worst, right? And so who are you going to invite? The five yeses are going to be your core group. And then you can reach out to some other people that you might not know as well. Could be somebody that you used to work with. What I suggest people do is I say, open up your phone and go to your text messages, go to your DMs on social media. Look, scroll through that to get some ideas on people that you've been chatting with. It could be someone who always photo reacts to your story and yeah. somebody that you haven't talked to exactly in a long time, but now's a great time to see them again. Maybe it's someone you went to school with or you used to work with. We have all these networks of people that are loose connections or weak ties. Those are perfect people to invite to a two-hour cocktail party. You might not know them well enough for a one-on-one -on -one or a dinner party, right. but for a cocktail party, this is perfect. What about people that you work with right now? I can imagine people feeling a little weird about mixing their friends' friends mm -hmm. with work friends. What do you think? Well, one of the most amazing parts about this party and why it will be successful for you and why you'll become seen as a connector is because at these parties, you get to mix different groups of people that you know. And that's why you're going to be so successful. When you host a two-hour cocktail party, your friends are going to leave and be like, oh my God, I met so many new people. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the number one things I hear from new hosts. I got a message from a woman named Tatiana in Seattle. And she hosted a party using my formula a couple of weeks ago. She sent me text messages at midnight, screenshots of what her friends were texting her. That was the best party I've ever hosted. That was amazing. I met so many new people, all because she did name tags and icebreakers. Mm -hmm. So my opinion is it's okay to mix those people. Okay. I like but, that. Okay. But because your listeners are overachievers, I want to <laughs> caution. Okay. I want to use a caution. This first party that you host when you mm -hmm. host using my formula should be a low stakes affair. So Good you can invite out. your colleagues, but you're not going to invite the CEO mm -hmm. of the company. Mm -hmm. You're not going to invite that juicy new sales prospect that you're mm -hmm. dying to impress. You're not going to invite the romantic interest who you really want to impress. Use the first party as a testing grounds, mm -hmm. right? Invite people that are not the top, top shelf of your invites. Right. Don't use this as a chance to reach out to the big entrepreneur in town. You want your first party to be a low stakes affair so that you have the confidence to practice name tags and icebreakers and kicking everybody out. So that is I really important. That. Yes, and that's gonna build your confidence for the next party and, and you'll learn something. But what about those bios? The that guest is bios. super cool. So tell us so, how that works. So with the type of parties that I host in my book, I have a whole chapter on reminder messages, party reminder mm -hmm. messages. You're going to send three reminder messages to all of your guests. You'll send one week before the party. You'll send the next one three days before the party. And you'll send your last reminder message the morning of. Why do we do this? One, to keep your party top of mind. People have stuff going on. Why do people RSVP and then never show up? Because stuff happens in their life. They have oh, to stay yeah. late at work. They have personal commitments, whatever. Well, when you keep your party top of mind, when you promote your party, like it's an amazing event, like it will be, mm -hmm. people are much more inclined to come and they're less inclined to flake out. Mm -hmm. Okay. I use guest bios in those last two reminder messages. And what is a guest bio? It's a brief blurb about half or more of your guests. Okay. It could be, 
Laura lives in Charleston, South Carolina. She hosts a podcast. Ask her about her podcast. It's as simple as that. It's a little blurb about folks. Now, maybe you don't know bios. You don't know some of your guests well Mm -hmm. enough. Well, that's okay. Just include a little blurb. Dan is my neighbor. I just met him last week. I think he has a dog, right? They're just little talking points about Mm -hmm. all of your guests. And why do we do this? It's to give the introverts, for one, a little more certainty about who's attending. It's to give everybody else ideas about who to talk to and conversational ideas. And it creates excitement for people to come to your party to say, look, I, oh, I'd really like to talk to these people. Okay. So these guest bios are a secret weapon that people will love and they don't take long. They shouldn't take more than 15 or 20 minutes for you to write. Oh, and it's, that's a very small investment for the return you're going to get both on creating that expectation in the minds of your audience and your own like confident and coming that will help you be a relaxed host. So, okay, everybody listening this, I am so excited for all of us to totally change networking and all meet new friends by having a two hour party where you send out these three reminder messages with some guest bios, use name tags, that are not fancy folksy. It has to be just a black Sharpie with the name on it. Easy yes, to read. Yes, first name only. Big first block name. letters. Yes. You and should do it as the host, by the way. Right. So when you host your event, because that gives you a touch point to welcome your guests mm-hmm. and to write their name and to make sure that everybody does it. Right. Okay. But what I'm worried about the money because you're selling me a oh, cocktail yeah. party. I don't even know how to make anything except a gin and tonic. So how yes. does that work? By the way, gin and tonic, great drink. So <laughs> it is a great drink. For myself, I'll tell you another dirty little secret. I wrote a book about how to host a cocktail party, and I don't even drink alcohol. But ah, you, crazy, funny. right? But the thing is, is that it's not about the drinks. That phrase cocktail party, we use it because it encapsulates an easy, lightweight social experience where you expect that you'll have a lot of little conversations. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you need for your cocktail party? Well, you can do the whole thing for well under $100. You need some simple mixers. You need seltzer. You need LaCroix or whatever the kids Mm -hmm. are drinking these days. You need some basic juice. So I tell people get some orange juice or some cranberry juice. You need some water. And then you need some basic alcohol, right? Like Mm -hmm. a bottle of gin, Mm -hmm. a bottle of tequila, maybe a Mm -hmm. bottle of whiskey. And you need Mm -hmm. some ice. That is pretty much it. And you're going to make a self-service bar that people can fix their own drinks at. Okay. Self-service. That's good. You also need sodas because I like to, this is is probably not good, but I like to drink Diet Coke and Coke Zero. That is my (laughs) vice these days. I'm embarrassed how much of that stuff I drink, but I love it. And so you just need some drinks and you're going to set out a little self-service bar area and inside my book or your Listeners can go to my website, www.party.pro, P-R-O, and they can download the exact shopping list of everything that they need to buy all the supplies that they possibly need, which is under $100. This is not a complicated list right, of stuff. Right, right. And, and so half when the you, people listening are control freaks, so you're speaking their love language. Great, great. I'll tell them exactly what to buy. And then we have some very basic snacks. 
We have things like baby carrots and grapes and hummus and guacamole and chips and maybe some salty nuts. But mm -hmm. all of these things you can buy in advance. They're not expensive. You can do the entire party for under $100. There's no decoration or anything like that. And a $7 pack of name tags. And themes. I think in your book, there was a, or maybe it was your website, like a Mexican theme. So what mm -hmm. is your take on themes? Themes? Cards? Themes can certainly be nice, but I want to challenge you that you don't need a theme. You are enough. Oh, the oh. very action of you hosting and bringing people into your house is enough for you to host an event. So I have some amazing theme ideas that I can share, but I don't think it's a pro. I want to wait until mm -hmm. you host your first event mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that is enough. Learning how to bring people. Nobody very... People need to gather again. We're yes. so lonely after COVID. Yes. Adults need to make new friends. Everybody can use a new friend these days. And Amen. when you host a party like this, trust me, you are going to become a super connector. You're going to become known as somebody who gathers. And I hear this from first time hosts. They say, you're not going to believe this, Nick. I was out at somebody else's party and someone introduced me. They said, you have to meet Diane. She hosts these amazing parties. I've never been that person before. And all it takes is a simple two hour cocktail party. I love it. And that is going to make you more confident at work. If you're suffering from a feeling shy or kind of reluctant to speak up in meetings when you know you need to be speaking up, because when you have conquered this fear, it really is just this fear that people are going to judge you because your house is not coming out of House and Gardens magazine or the introvert fear of not knowing what to say. And yeah. Nick covers that in his book. Why don't we? Can I, I know we're running out of time. So no, 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 no. But I want to talk about this real quick. Yeah. It's not about your house. And I work with a lot of people and I've coached them to host their first party. And they're worried. My house is too small. It's right. too far away. My house is messy. It's not nice enough. Those are mental gymnastics that you're playing, that people don't really care. And the reality is, is that it is so vulnerable and it is so generous for you to host people at your home that you will actually come out on top. Let's say, for example, that you do live in a small apartment. Okay. I lived in a tiny apartment in New York City. Was I a little embarrassed to have people over at first because my apartment wasn't very nice, because my kitchen was right next to my sofa, because it was the size of a very small house? Yes, at first I was, but nobody will show up to your house, turn up their nose, say, this is a terrible house, turn outside, leave and start a <laughs> rival party. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to come and they're going to be so thankful that you were generous with them by hosting them at your home, that it actually makes you feel so much more empowered because all the people that maybe turn up their nose, you know, the reality, they're not hosting. They're not having these parties and gatherings. And you will set yourself apart by becoming that host, that person who brings people together. And it will actually flip to be way more powerful and way more vulnerable when you invite somebody into your home. It's a leapfrog way to create a deep connection. And you immediately establish yourself as someone who is genuine and authentic. And it just turbocharges. You know, we haven't talked about this as a networking thing as a way to build your business or boost your career. But the secret is, is that that's exactly what it does. It does. And also, I think just speaking to that fear, because I have, I know exactly how that feels. 
But the reality is that when you invite people into your humble home, you are communicating a confidence that you may not even feel, but they're like, whoa, if Laura can have people into her home, yes, you know, she must really be confident. And that's yes. so magnetic. That's a magnetic quality yes. that people just, it's like flies to the light. They want to be around that. And, and you'll be just a more interesting person. I mean, McMansions, I think, are overrated. I've never lived in one, but you don't need that. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to live in a mansion, probably. <laughs> but I'm. But I tell you what, the parties in a small house or a small apartment are actually more exciting because there's the energy and it's mm -hmm. crowded and there's the background noise. I tell people, the more people at your party, actually, the less work that it is to an extent. Mm -hmm. But if you have, like I live right now in a small single studio apartment, and if I have 15 or 20 people here, compared to 15 or 20 people in an enormous mansion where right. it feels empty and dead and quiet, in a small party, they're actually more exciting. And I have this beautiful blog post. It's a long case study mm -hmm. that's called How to Host a Party in a Small Apartment. And you'll see what this guy Noah did at his apartment in Chicago. That's only, I think, 320 square feet. It is oh very, very small. Yeah. And he packed just as a test to see if this would work. Mm -hmm. He put 28 people inside. Oh, wow. And he said right. it was so, yes, it was loud and it was crowded, but it was so exciting and nobody would ever think that he could pull it off. But he did. And it was still a success. And that's the kind of thing that people like to talk about yeah. afterward. Yes. I, my, my philosophy is that everybody wants to play show and tell all day, every day. So you're giving yes. them something to show and tell about. Before I let you go, this is just so interesting. Please give us some tips because I know that some people are thinking, okay, I get these people in my house, Nick. Uh -huh. What do I say? How yes. do I talk to them? I'm awkward. Yes. So well, here's the number one thing. Here's the first thing. When the first people show up, they may see that there's nobody else there. And you're the first person, right? So right. one easy thing to do for that, if you're worried about that, mm -hmm. is to ask some of your core group, to ask some of your best friends, to ask some people you feel close with, to show up five or 10 minutes early, okay? Oh, okay. Have them show up five or 10 minutes early so you feel safe, so you feel comfortable, so you've got people to help you. Mm -hmm. Second thing mm -hmm. to do, your first arrivals, what do they always ask? How can I help? Right. Right. They, they see you. So be ready to do what I call delegate duties to them. Mm -hmm. What are some duties that you can delegate? You can say, hey, will you go stand over by the bar area? You don't have to make drinks. You're not a mixologist, but mm -hmm. just help people get some ice, get their first drink. Maybe why don't you mm -hmm. take a Sharpie marker and write their name on their cup so mm -hmm. that everybody can kind of keep the same cup. So you send one person there. Somebody else shows up. You say, hey, thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad that you're here. What we never do is we never apologize for people not being there. Oh, I'm sorry. Nobody's here yet. We never do that. Correct. We thank people. We say, thank you so much for showing up on time. This is going to be so much fun. Will you help me out with this? And so the next thing is you can appoint maybe a more social person or maybe an introvert them as the party photographer. You say, look, <laughs> I always forget to take pictures at my own parties. I'm so busy. Will you help me out and just snap a bunch of candid photos mm -hmm. tonight? It would really mean a lot. Okay. You can assign somebody else and say, hey, you are in charge of giving out high fives tonight. And ah! so what I will say, now we've got three people arrive. We have a photographer. Mm -hmm. We have the person by the bar and we have the person doing the high fives. I say, hey, welcome. Go over and see John at the bar. He'll show you how to make a drink. 
Then go over and see Tyler for your free high five afterwards. Okay. And as people show up, you're just pointing them. Mm -hmm. And these people now feel empowered. They feel like they're Mm -hmm. on your team. They feel like they're a part of the success of the party. And so it's little things like that that I go into in my book. It's extremely tactical and practical that will show you exactly what you need to do, exactly what to say to those first few people Mm -hmm. who arrive. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we are truly running out of time. So I'm going to just mention the book is called The Two Hour Cocktail Party. So, Nick, tell the audience how they can get the book on Amazon. Obviously, if they want to connect with your, get, yes. you have a newsletter yeah. uh, with tips. How would you like for people to reach out to you if they want? Here's to the thing that I would love your from your listeners I am on a journey over the next year to help 500 people host their first cocktail party using my two-hour cocktail party formula. And I will personally help you to host your first party. All you have to do is accept my challenge. The challenge is choose a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night, three weeks or four weeks from now, and set the date. That's all you have to do. Just set the date and then send me an email and I will personally help you out. Send me an email, just say, hey, I've never done this. I listened to the podcast. I'm choosing Tuesday night, August 15th or whatever. That's my party. And I'll help you from there. My email address is Nick, N-I-C-K, at party.pro, party.pro. And you can find it on the website, which is www.party.pro. I also have, okay, last thing, a friend's newsletter that people freaking love. I think you read it. I mm-hmm, include mm-hmm. good Netflix shows, an awesome article, a great book that I read. It's literally only stuff that I send to my friends that I like and that I love. And you can find that on my website, which is Nick Gray, N-I-C-K-G-R-A-Y dot net. And you can find me on Instagram at Nick Gray News. I post really fun stuff on my stories and all the great stuff I find at Costco. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Nathan, you have been so generous. I am expecting multiple parties to come out of this. So I am expecting invitations any day now. Yes. So we will keep you posted. You have a free expert party guide who's offering his services to help you. So you're welcome. And thank you, Nick, for being so generous and so interesting and continuing your theme about showing people how to take something that's ordinary and make it extraordinary and special. I really appreciate that. Everybody, I'm signing off now. Got to go back to work. Hope you have a a great day. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.